0: So you're in Colossians chapter 1. All right, raise your hand if, wow, that was loud, if, I like that, raise your hand if you've ever had any desire to fly a helicopter. Fly a helicopter. Come on, keep, keep them up. That's it? There are a lot of you in here that just are not very adventurous. Now, last year in Mayport, Florida, I got to get into a real, live, simulation helicopter device. (laughs) And so here I was, and I'm sitting, and you have to, the way it went is a a couple people one at a time. One person's flying, the other person's observing, and then then you go and you fly, and someone else observes you. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this guy, out of control, (laughs) no ability to control a helicopter whatsoever. So we... We crashed and burned. It, was kind, of, it was kind of disappointing. Then it was my turn, and I'm like, there, "There's uh, these these sticks, and then there are these foot pedals, and all this stuff going on around you." So I get this thing up in the air. I'm like, yes, yeah, this, this is good. You can see everything all around you. You've got the everything's moving. It's virtual. It's like real life, fake, flying a helicopter. And I've got it under control, and, I, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm taking this loop. Everything's beautiful and it's time to come in for the landing. And, you know, don't go too fast, because if you do, bad news. Coming in, everything's great. And I'd say there's there's about three or four seconds left in this training round, just about to land. To this day, I have no idea what happened, except the helicopter went like this. (laughs) (laughs) So I went from upright to upside down in a a moment's notice. I didn't go like this. It's all of a sudden it just flipped over and we were on our propellers. Bad news. If you or I were tasked with flying a helicopter not just for a little joy ride, I'm talking about a real live helicopter in an operational mission and we had no help, how successful would we be? Probably not even as good as my simulation flight. We probably wouldn't even have made it back to this place where we almost landed. It would, it would have been probably a disaster from the start. Just as it is impossible and we are incapable of flying a helicopter on an important operational mission without proper aid, we are incapable, friends, we are incapable of fulfilling the demands of Scripture Without divine aid. Without divine aid. I'm here to tell you, however, that that divine aid is available. Which tells you and I, since that divine enablement, that divine aid, we call it grace, since that is available, we can, in fact, by God's grace, meet the demands of Scripture. We want to live a life that pleases God Or, if you want to use this phrase, we want to walk a walk worthy of the Lord. We want to. You've come to know Jesus as your Savior. You recognize that you have no eternal life, you have eternal death, without Jesus. And so, coming to Jesus, coming to this recognition that my life is is hidden with Christ, in God, because of what Jesus has done, we, we recognize the, the worth of the Gospel and who Jesus is. We want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. As we'll see from the passage this morning, now it states it in the positive, but if you were to flip this statement around, these statements around, you'd recognize that it's impossible to walk a walk worthy of the Lord without Him. And we want to walk this walk with the Lord. And so what we're going to note here, as we look at Paul's prayer, it's recorded here in Colossians 1, a prayer for the church at Colossae, which really is a prayer for us, is we want to notice five characteristics of a worthy walk. Five characteristics of a worthy walk. Before we can get into this these characteristics. I want for us to read the passage one more time, verses nine through twelve. That will be our our assignment this morning. After we read this, I want to give you a little bit of information about how the text works. Have, before we read it, I just want to keep our conversation going here for just a moment. Have you ever heard anyone say you can make scripture say anything you want? You've heard people say that, right? That's not true. It's not true. What a person that makes that statement doesn't realize is that words work together. Now the technical term for that is syntax. The way a word relates to another word and how those words relate to a sentence. How that sentence transitions into a thought. Syntax. We call this interpretation. There is a way, a proper way to interpret scripture. So scripture cannot mean whatever you want it to mean unless you don't understand that words have meaning and that words have a way they work together. So, just, if you and I can erase that thought from our minds that you can make Scripture say anything that we want it to say, let's just erase that, because it's not accurate. Now, someone can try to make Scripture say what they want, but they can't interpret Scripture accurately, and then say what they want. Does that make sense? Alright, so what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage, then I want to give you the way this passage works, and then we'll start to work through it. Verse 9, Colossians 1, 9. For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering. With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That, that is a good passage. (laughs) That is rich. We could park on this passage for weeks on end. What we're going to do, however, is get this idea, the idea of how this works, and it's going to be on the screen behind me just to kind of help break it down. The main element of Paul's prayer is this: that they, I've got it written as they, because we're talking about the Colossians, but that we would walk, I assume would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is the the, the main element. He, he's praying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's the main clause. Okay. The purpose, however, there's a, it's not just, okay, we've got this first idea, but He then gives us the purpose. And we know that because as, as we get into verse 10, it starts with the word that. The that is a purpose word. And it's telling us why He wants us to be filled or controlled by a knowledge of God's will. So the purpose of His prayer is this, that we would walk worthy. Of the Lord, that we would walk worthy of the Lord. And then there's this this little phrase. It says, fully pleasing him. This is a parallel statement to that you might walk worthy of the Lord. So what he's doing is he's giving us, okay, this is my prayer, that you be filled with, with God's will and knowledge of God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. That you might walk, walk worthy of the Lord is another way of saying that you be fully pleasing Him, or, as it's literally, in every way pleasing. In every way pleasing is how that literally reads in the Greek. So, what He wants us to do, He's saying, I'm praying that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will, spiritually, with wisdom, understanding. So that this will happen. What is it? That you walk worthy of the Lord. Another way of saying that is fully pleasing Him. Now fully pleasing Him is then modified by four, you ready for this, participles. The four participles are saying this is how we fully please the Lord. that make sense? The four participles are found in verses 10 through 12, and they are these, they're on the screen. Being fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all might, giving thanks to the Father. Now I want you to look at the screen here behind me, in front of you. The purpose is the second line down. In order for that purpose to be fulfilled, what happens on top, you see that one? That you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And all the things that happen underneath must take place for that purpose to be fulfilled. Fully pleasing Him. Fully pleasing Him, or walking worthy of the Lord, because those are two parallel statements. One of the characteristics comes in verse 9 at the beginning. And four of them come after He tells us why He wants us to do this. Okay, So what we've got here is, is a, a passage that has characteristics of a worthy walk at the beginning and characteristics of a worthy walk at the end. And it functions together. You see how that the nuts and bolts of that work? You've got the first characteristic up top and four characteristics on the bottom. Two ways of describing what's being accomplished. That you would walk worthy of the Lord or that you'd be in every way pleasing Him. Does that make sense? So what we're trying to talk about this morning as we consider God's Word is seeking a walk that pleases God. Paul's praying. And he's praying that they would have a walk that Pleases God, And so, one way we could look at this passage is, well, this should inform our prayer life. Shouldn't it? Shouldn't it inform our prayer life? This is how Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. This is how we should pray for one another. But another way we can look at this passage is, Paul's praying this way for Christians. So these, these things ought to be important for Christians. And we're going to go with that second way. You can also have in the back of your mind that this should inform our prayer life. When you pray, you should pray... This kind of prayer, these elements should be involved in your prayer life. When you pray for one another, when you pray for me, when I pray for you, we should be praying these kinds of things. But as we look at it from what is, the, what is the, the call in the passage, the call in the passage is that we would live a life pleasing to God or walk a worthy walk. Does that make sense? So five characteristics of a worthy walk is what we want to look at this morning. The first characteristic of a worthy walk is characterized this way by a controlling knowledge of God's will. By a controlling knowledge of God's will. He says, filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, we've talked about being filled with things before, right? Well, sometimes people are filled with rage. Sometimes people are filled with sarcasm. Sometimes people are filled with passion, lust, covetousness. Sometimes people are filled with pride. We know what being filled with something is. The way that the Bible talks about it in other places, it, in Ephesians 5.18, we can be filled with wine. What does that mean? Well, we keep on drinking up until it just comes, starts coming out of our ears. We're so full it's coming out. That's not the point. It says... Don't be controlled by wine, which is dissipation. In other words, drunkenness. You've heard of liquid courage. Someone drinks so much that they become this tough guy, or they drink so much they become this soft guy, or they become so, so drunk they become this funny guy. You know, all these kinds of things. Their whole mindset is controlled by that liquid substance. The contrast to that is, instead of being drunk with wine in which is excess, be filled with the Spirit. What is the concept? Controlled by the Spirit. And here, Paul's praying that the church at Colossae would be filled, controlled, by a knowledge of God's will. Now, you'll remember that this letter starts off with Paul making a statement. He says, I am called an apostle by the will of God. We stated when we were looking at that, that Paul was able to, operate with confidence in his ministry because he knew God's call in his life. When we have an understanding of what God has called us to do, we can do so with confidence. We can, we can move, be moved by or controlled by that call. When we understand the precepts of God's word, when we understand the principles of God's word, can we not be controlled by them? Well, this, this, this way of going about things is wrong this way of going about things is right. And so when we're going about life and we, we do one of those things that's wrong and we say, oh, oh, wait a second. This doesn't come into alignment with what I know about the Scriptures. I am right now not being controlled with a knowledge of God's will. Because God's will can be both specific with a, a specific text of Scripture... Or it can be very general with a call in our lives. Okay, God has called me to be this kind of a person. Or God has called me to live in this type of a way. God has called us to go to the nations with the gospel. God has called me to Warwick, Rhode Island. God has called me into the military. God has called me into this occupation. God has called me to marry this person. So we can go from from generalities to very specific. And what Paul is praying for the Colossian church is he wants them to have this confidence that... That they know what God wants in their lives so that they don't have to be quibbling over every decision. Have you ever heard of the the term the analysis of of the paralysis of analysis? Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what way to go. I don't know how, how I should go about this. What's the right time? What's the right way? how much should i spend like this this like oh goodness gracious you're just going to kill yourself with, with mulling this over Get, just you got to know and go but you can't go unless you know right so so it's not like okay hey listen listen just do everything you do with gusto just hey if you're going to do it just just go do it it's not that it's it's controlled by a knowledge of god's will And so what we're we're talking about, what he's talking about, is that we have to understand what God has called us to with regard to general principles of Scripture and very specific elements that God has called us specifically to. Does that make sense? If I'm going to live a life that is a worthy walk or that's fully pleasing God, I need to have an understanding of what God wants. It needs to be the kind of knowledge that directs my path. Well, as we think about this for a moment, he he gives us a a modifier of it. He says, Be controlled or filled with the knowledge of his will in all... What does it say? Verse 9. Look look with me at verse 9. Filled with the knowledge of his will in all Wisdom. wisdom. Now, we know wisdom to be the application of knowledge, but we also know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So to understand fully, to to truly be injected with wisdom, it comes from this reverence of God and this surrender of my will, submission of my heart to God. So as we think about this, let's consider it this way. Rather than being guided by the impulses of my flesh, I can be guided by a fear of God. Does that make sense? He says, be filled, I'm praying, night and day, without ceasing, I'm praying for you all the time, and this is what I'm praying, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So rather than living by the impulses of my flesh, I live by the impulses of the fear of God. Does that make sense? Alright. And then he says, in all spiritual understanding, that's, that's another way he modifies this, all spiritual understanding. So, spiritual is the term, you ready for this? Pneumetikos. Pneuma is wind or spirit. Ikos. It's a good Greek lesson for you. Ikos means of or related to. Of or related to the spirit. A spirit-related understanding. So now what we're talking about, in order to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not only do I have to uh, have a fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom, I have to have this relationship with the Spirit so that the Spirit now is giving me an understanding. Now we know that the Spirit is the teacher. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a a comforter, and he's going to teach you everything that I talked to you about. He's going to bring to remembrance what I've talk to you about. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have uh, the Spirit teaches spiritual things. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know him, know them because they are pneumaticas discerned, spiritually discerned, discerned by means of the Spirit. And so in order to be filled, controlled by a knowledge of God's will, there's this reverence for God surrender to him fear of god rather than fear of my own impulses oh i need to, i need to feed myself because this is this is what i'm what what my heart is telling me to do you ever hear that one my heart is telling me to do this oh really um, you might want to reconsider doing that thing that your heart is telling you to do because your heart it really just kind of thumps bump, 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 bump. bump. it pumps heart, you know blood through your body really helpful thing you don't want to live without it in fact you can't live without it now we're talking about the The mind... you ever heard of being deceived? I think we need to be really careful what we say is guiding us. Spiritual understanding is an understanding of life, an understanding of a particular thing, an understanding of Scripture, related to the Spirit of God. So guided by the Spirit, rather than the promptings of the world, rather than the promptings of my own desires rather than the promptings of my own experiences. So instead of living in a way that's controlled by my impulses, my experience, my intellect, the world, I need to be controlled by, by a submission to Him, by His revealed will, by the guidance of the Spirit. As he starts this off, if I'm going to live a life that's worthy of the Lord, that's fully pleasing to God in every way, it's going to come by, first of all, being controlled by a knowledge of God's will. My life will be characterized by a controlling knowledge of God's will. Not just a knowledge about God. Not information. A controlling knowledge of God's will. You can kind of relate it this way if you want to jot this down for later. Colossians 3.16 talks about God's word dwelling within us. Dwelling within us. So it's God's word taking root in us. And then the Spirit has resources to use. In our lives. So that's the first characteristic a controlling knowledge of God's will. A second characteristic of a worthy walk is this a fruitful pursuit of God's will. A fruitful pursuit of God's will. Take a look at verse 10. It says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work being fruitful in every good work. What is fruitfulness? Too often, we associate fruitfulness with the world's idea of success and failure. As we look at what fruitfulness is from the Scriptures, we get a completely different idea. So I want us to to, to look at a a few verses of Scripture to help us to understand or to remind ourselves of what real fruitfulness is. Take a look at Philippians chapter 1. What we're looking at here in Philippians chapter 1 is another of Paul's prayers, this one for the church at Philippi. We'll begin in verse 9 for context's sake. It says this, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Will you read verse 11 with me? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, what is their source? Which are by Jesus Christ. So, being filled with fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? He's talking about the fruit that comes through Christ. Which is similar to what we're going to see in Galatians chapter five. Again, familiar verse. Take a look at Galatians five, familiar passage of Scripture. Real fruitfulness is not, hey, I won seventy-five souls to Jesus, and I and I, and I want you to know about it because I've charted them all. I wrote them down and the date that they came to know Jesus. You know, do you know that there are people that do that? They like they want to know like every number of every person that they won to Christ. It's like, um. You ready? Here I'm going to tell you the number that people that you've won to Christ. Zero. D.L. Moody, love him. How many did he win to Christ? Zero. Ah, oh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. You know how many he won to Christ? None. real spiritual fruit, does not come because I know what to do. It doesn't even come because I know what the Bible says. It comes as a result of God and His work through the Word by the Spirit bringing people from death to life. I can't do that. Nor can you. Nor can any other human being. It's it's really quite encouraging because Fruitfulness, then, is not based upon how many you've brought to Jesus, because we would all be on the same field, right? Bupkis. That's Polish for nothing. I don't know. It probably isn't, but... <laughs> you've led me astray all these years. Real fruit comes from the Spirit. So we're in Galatians 5. Look at verses 22 and 23. 5, 22... But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control against these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, against these, there's no law. You can't do this. There's no law that can make that happen. Only the Spirit of God working in you can produce that fruit. Fruitful in every good work fruitful my work abounds with love my efforts abound with joy my efforts abound with peace my efforts are demonstrating long suffering my my ministry involves gentleness my ministry overflows with peace and all of these fruits this is the work of God this is fruitfulness in ministry not Look, that church went from 37 to 847 fruitfulness. That's fruitfulness! That's the world's idea of fruitfulness. Fruitful, in God's term, is spiritual manifestation of Jesus. And if you want to look through the Gospels, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit abounding in Jesus' life. Who was condemning the sinner? wasn't Jesus. Who was condemning the Pharisee? Well, Jesus did that because they needed to be exposed. Everyone thought Pharisees, oh, these are the good people. Oh, the sinners are the bad people. Jesus basically came and said, they're all the bad people. But I came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is good news, friends. We're talking about a life that is in every way pleasing. We're talking about walking a walk that's worthy of the Lord. If that's going to happen, it will be a, a walk that is abounding in real fruit. Fruit that is not checked off of a list. Fruit that demonstrates, I can see Jesus in you. That's fruitfulness. Sometimes we find ourselves... In circumstances where we have not been as fruitful as we desire, nor as fruitful as God intends, and for that, God lovingly chastens, He chastens, and chastening, no chastening for the present seems to be wonderful. but you know what it does? It says this in Hebrews chapter twelve and verse. 11, no no chastening seems to be joyful, but what? Not for the present, sorry, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see that when we're not bearing fruit, God doesn't say, well, I'm finished with you, pal. God, He he comes to us and He deals with us. Not out of anger. It's not as like the Father who does what He thinks is best. He comes to us as the Father who knows what's best. He knows how to deal with us. And when He ministers to us in this way, and it is ministry, chastening is ministry, when He does this, He does it so that we will bring forth fruitfulness. Now, James talks about fruitfulness as well. And again, he's not talking about statistics. Like, I've got this vision that in so many years, we're going to be like this as a church. In so many years, we're going to have this many people. so many years, we're going to have to build this building. That kind of vision, that's not the kind of fruitfulness that James has in mind when he's talking about fruit. James has a different kind of fruit in mind. Look, look at what he says in James 3.17. It's on the screen behind me. But the wisdom that is from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and what? Good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Remember, there is always, there is always evidence of the Spirit's working. Like, we can't say, yes, I'm walking with God, but be manifesting the fruit of the flesh. We, we can't say, I'm walking with God, but instead of evidencing love and joy and peace and long-suffering gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temper, instead of doing those things, you know, those are really good and everything, but instead we're manifesting selfishness. Instead we're manifesting envy. Instead we're manifesting bitterness. Instead we're manifesting irritation or anger. Or covetousness. Think it through, friend. I'm walking with God, and yet there's no joy. I'm walking with God, but there's no peace. I'm walking with God until my child spills the milk on the table. Long suffering. No endurance, no patient endurance with people. I'm fine, everything's good unless i can't pay my bills you know cuz then i don't have patient endurance with my circumstances you know come on don't don't expect me to be supernatural or anything that's what fruitfulness is fruitfulness is supernatural it's not like you become a better you oh look at look at that rob guy i remember when he was like this now look at him he's like this what a what a swell guy he is negative no not true if something Really good is coming forth, it's because there's a surrender to the Spirit. And the Spirit produces fruit. And that fruit looks like love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We, We know the fruit of the Spirit, but we have to recognize that that's the kind of fruitfulness that God's Word is talking about. So as we get our minds back to Colossians, head back there, please, Colossians 1. The Spirit always produces a product. We're talking about living a a life that's pleasing to God. Pleasing Him in every way. Or walking a worthy walk. In order for that to take place, or the way that it's characterized, first of all, is by a controlling knowledge of God's will. We know what God's Word says. Secondly, it's characterized by A fruitful pursuit of God's will. So there's work. There's evidence of God's work. I'm fruitful in the things that I'm doing because the Spirit's controlling my life. So it's fruitful. Here's a third characteristic of a worthy walk. Growing, a growing knowledge of God. A growing knowledge of God. This is not a repeat. Is there a difference, friends, between the phrase in verse 9, being filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's in verse 9. Is there a difference between that, being filled with the knowledge of God's will, and what's being said in verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God? Can you see a difference? One is knowledge about God's direction in your life. The other is a knowledge Of him. It's like, okay, this is I know what he wants, I know what he wants me to do, I know what he's directing me to do. This one is increasing in my knowledge and understanding and relationship and intimacy with him, increasing in him. There is a relationship, friends, in an in increase in our knowledge of God's word. There's a, a relationship with knowing God through his word and knowing God Personally, isn't there? Because we don't know God because we abstractly look at the mountains and say, well, I can see that his handiwork is here, so I know about him this way. And I, I look up in the sky and I can acknowledge his in unchangeable attributes. He, he's powerful. Look at what he's done. Out of the, with the breath of his mouth, he, he cast the, the stars in space. It's incredible. So we can learn some things about God, but we don't know God because of what we see. We're we're drawn toward him, and we appreciate him more. But as we look at the scriptures, as they reveal him, because remember, the scriptures are a story about God. It's a story about God rescuing us. That tells you something about him. He wants us to know that he is a rescuing God. We increase in our understanding of him because, or excuse me, through the same thing. We we talked about this briefly, a fear of the Lord. Remember, we we mentioned this already in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy is understanding. The knowledge of God is understanding. As we fear the Lord, as we surrender ourselves to Him, and as we put ourselves at the feet of the Word... Right? I know it doesn't have literal feet, but we're 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 putting ourselves before the word, so we are taking it in. We're starting to understand who he is. Paul had it this way, and he was talking about Jesus specifically in Philippians chapter three and verse ten. He says, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. The more we get in the word and we see the character of God, the more we're learning who he is. I I want you to take just a moment without me talking. And I want you to think about what are the first five or ten things that come into your mind when you think of God Do you know him? Is your understanding of him increasing? Are you reveling in a God who loves? Are you reveling in a God who mercifully takes away your sin? Are you reveling in a God who graciously adds to your life righteousness? Are you reveling in a God who is patiently enduring you. Like, you know you. If you had to deal with you, how would you like it? You wouldn't. I think of my wife and I think, man, what a wonderful person she is. <laughs> she can deal with me. It's that's, that's wonderful that she can patiently endure me. And she's not holy. Now, I, I know that's a surprise to you, She's, she's a human, just like we are. God is holy in every way, without any interruptions in that holiness. And he still bears along with me. Do you know him? Do you know that God? Sometimes we, we, we look around and we think well, these are the good people over here, and those are the bad people out there, and here God is long-suffering with, with everyone. Isn't he, hasn't he been long-suffering with your neighbor who doesn't know him? Because if he weren't long-suffering with your neighbor, he wouldn't be here anymore? God is long-suffering. It's, it's just amazing. We you just think about all the things about who God is, we need to be increasing in our understanding of him. And it's tied to our understanding of the scriptures. So, as we're moving further in this, a walk, excuse me, a worthy walk is characterized by a controlling knowledge of God's will. A worthy walk is, is characterized by a fruitful pursuit of God's will. Thirdly, a worthy walk is characterized by an increasing or a growing knowledge of God Himself. Fourthly, a worthy walk is characterized by a supernatural empowerment. Anyone have any other word for that one? Anyone know that word? Grace. Do you know that word? Grace? Do you know what r- grace means? Too, too often, and I, I, I'm, I'm like a broken record up here. I'm sorry, but I just have to make sure that this is understood. It, it bothers me when people don't understand what grace is. Grace is not God being forgiving. It's not Grace. Not like, hey, God's gracious, dude. Do what you want. We live in the age of grace. It's not any of that. That's mercy. That's mercy. God forgives. That's mercy. God removes our sin. That's mercy. God is patient with me. That's long suffering. None of that's grace. Grace is God giving me something I couldn't earn and that I couldn't deserve. God has given me something that I need. First of all, He gives me Jesus' righteousness. That's grace. Because without Jesus' righteousness, no eternal life. No heaven for me. That's grace. Grace is a gift of God that leads to eternal life. Yes, God added to me Jesus Christ's righteousness and this gift of eternal life. This is beautiful. God's grace also, in seen in our daily lives, is God giving us what we could never do. It's giving us power. Here's what, how He states it here in verse... 11. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. You think he's trying to get anything across? Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. He uses two different Greek words to get this across. The first two, the word dunamis is used, which is kind of a controlled and productive power, even though we think of dynamite. Well, dynamite can be used in a very productive way, right? They can, they can put it in very specific locations, targeted, and, and, and this big explosion, but it's, it's very targeted, so it does minimal damage, but we're still talking about damage at this point. I don't think that's the best understanding of, of dunamis, power. It's, it's, it's controlled strength. It's very specific. It's, it's targeted, and it accomplishes. And that's power, dunamis. Then he uses the word kratos. Kratos according to his glorious power. You can call that sovereign power. We're talking about God making us fruitful. We're talking about making us in every way pleasing. But the way that that in every way pleasing comes about is because we have dunamis strengthened with all might according to his sovereign power, kratos. So the being fruitful in every way, or excuse me, pleasing in every way, doesn't come because, hey, I really want to please God. It doesn't come because I know everything the Bible says. I have the whole 66 books memorized and all of the commandments the 619 uh, from the Mosaic Covenant, and and the 1050 from the, the New Testament. I've got all these commands memorized. I know how to live the Christian life. I'm good to go. the law has never saved or sanctified or glorified anyone, which is why this concept here in verse 11 is of such importance to us. We want to be in every way pleasing. We want to walk a worthy walk. And the only way it takes place is when we're strengthened by His power according to His glorious power, His sovereign power. This is what's going on here. When we think of walking a worthy walk, we're not talking about operating in our own strength. Jesus told us, without me, you can do nothing. That's right. Nothing. Well, you can do something. just nothing productive. Nothing spiritually fruitful. You can probably do a lot of productive things, quite honestly, without Jesus. People have come up with all kinds of things and done productive things. People are good employees without Jesus. Not not as good as they would be otherwise, right? We're talking about spiritual fruit. We're talking about pleasing to God kind of fruit. That comes by being related to Jesus. When we abide in Christ, we bear much fruit. Much fruit. Now, he gives us a little bit of a sampling here at the end of verse 11 about what kind of fruit he's talking about. This is our least favorite subject because there's not one person on the earth that is not guilty of violating these two, really three concepts that are, that are communicated at the end of verse 11. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power, To do what? Verse 11. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Do you know the difference between patience and long-suffering? Is it the same word, just kind of use it two different ways? Two different concepts here. Patience is patient endurance with circumstances. Long-suffering Ready? Patient endurance with the worst person you ever met? With people. This isn't just like patient endurance with the believer that lives in your house or the ones that live in your church. We're talking about patient endurance with people. Can can you be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ, right? Can you be filled with the Spirit and be impatient with your boss? No. Can you be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ or filled with the Spirit and be impatient with the IRS agent? Can you? Long-suffering is long-suffering. It doesn't matter who the people are. It doesn't matter who the object is. Does that mean you have to like everything that someone else is saying? No. No. Does that mean you can't disagree with what someone's saying? No, I'm not saying that you don't disagree with anyone or don't like something that someone's saying. There are times where we, we see something and we're not on the same page, but long-suffering is patiently enduring the difference. That only comes through a supernatural activity. Think about this. If you and I are going to be everything that God wants us to be, we're going to be in every way pleasing, it's only going to be because we are guided in our inner man, which comes to the outer man, by God's powerful Spirit. We want to walk worthy? We need to be completely controlled by the Spirit. Now, so it says, all patience and long-suffering. It throws in this word at the end there. Come on. Oh, come on. What does it say? With joy. So here you are, Believer X, and you have a bad day, and you didn't sleep. We didn't sleep for days because we've got a new baby. <laughs> now, that hasn't happened to anyone around here. <laughs> we've got this, this problems, challenges, and people. And, okay, I want to walk in the power of the Spirit someone says something irritating, you're like, I'm going to say the right thing. All right. Well, that was, that was not the right thing to say to me right now. I'll, I'll, and, and I can feel, I can convince myself that because I didn't explode at this person, that maybe I really am filled with the Spirit. Because if I weren't, I would have really blown up at them. But God just did us a little nasty trick here by saying it's not just being patient with the circumstance and patient with the people, and that's it. He says patient endurance with people and circumstances with joy. You know what this does? You ready? This is, this is the, the visual for today. It brings us to our knees. Dear God, I can't. I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm frustrated. The way that I've been going about this is wrong. I need you. I need you. I don't need my strength to be renewed. I need your strength to be renewed in me. I don't need my strength to be better. I need your strength. Your strength is endless. It doesn't stop just because things are hard. Supernatural strength, friends. Was the word for that? grace grace we live by grace and it's not it's not limited in any way i can never excuse myself for my irritation impatience lack of joy i always have to look in the mirror and say you friend you are not walking with god You are trying to do this yourself and you are a miserable failure. But you know what I know about God? I can go to Him. And every time He is faithful and every time He is just to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so that broken relationship that I have broken is restored. And I can walk in the light as He is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses me from every sin. This is the glory of having an increasing knowledge of God. Because I know, yes, I am weak, but He is strong. And His strength is made perfect in my weakness. So these weaknesses are not things to try to push away, but to say, all right, Lord. Here's a time for me to very easily recognize I can't do this. Your strength is made perfect in weakness, so I glory in infirmities and frailties and weakness, because when I am weak, you're strong. This is the way we go about it, friends. This is the way to live a worthy walk. You want to walk worthy? Well, it will manifest itself in fruitfulness. But the fruitfulness is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It comes as a result of a supernatural power that's not limited by circumstances. Here's a fifth one. Ready? A worthy walk is characterized by continual thanksgiving. Now, we're only going to touch the surface here because we're, we're, we're about done. We're going to hit verse 12 again next week, but we need to get the concept here that's at the beginning of verse 12 because it is intimately tied To the concept of fully pleasing Him or pleasing Him in every way, which is tied to walking worthy. Verse 12: Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Continual thanksgiving. You know that continual thanksgiving is God's will, it's God's will. In 1 Thessalonians 5:18, the Bible says this, "In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." Why should we be thankful? In the context of Colossians 1 verses 9 through 12, why should we be thankful? Well, I'd say, the thanksgiving in verse 12, because it's tied to fully pleasing him, is that the only way I can fully please Him is because I've been strengthened with all my, according to His glorious power. Which results in patience and long-suffering with joy. And so, I'm saying, I can walk a worthy walk, I can be fully pleasing in every way, because of God's power. Because of His grace in me. And so I can then say, God, thank you. Thank you that I can meet the demands of your word. I can't meet it myself, but I can meet it when I'm walking in the power of the Spirit. I can meet it when Jesus Christ is controlling me. The Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Again, we're going to talk about this next week, but I want to just address this one thing very quickly. Just suffice it to say at this point, every believer, every believer, has been made a joint heir of Christ. In other words, what he receives, you receive. And just if you if you're wondering what that what that's like, I'm going to let you know a secret, ready? He gets everything. He gets everything. This is why this could never be our best life now, by the way. Because right now we could never get everything. But when we, when we come to the end of our days and we're standing face to face with our Savior, who is the beneficiary of everything, we also are the beneficiaries of everything. Shouldn't we be those who give thanks should we think about our temporary circumstances and and say, woe is me? Well, sometimes we have that emotion because we're humans, right? But again, we're we're talking about supernatural power that enables us to be patient with this circumstance because we know what the future is like and then we give thanks to God in everything. To sum it all up, we we need grace. If we want to please God in every way or walk a worthy walk, we need grace. We must be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We must be filled with fruitful actions. We must be filled with a greater and increasing knowledge of God. We must be filled with God's sovereign power. We must be filled with thanksgiving. You notice the the familiar word there it's filled, 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 filled. Where does that filling come from? Every good and every perfect gift is from above, it comes from Him. And he doesn't ever change. You know that? So we're filled with the things that are needed so that we can then please God. So who's really pleasing God? It's God's work in and through us. We look at him and we say, there's no one like him. I I hope that you catch a theme that I want every time you leave here, if you're a believer, I want every time you leave here for you to be rejoicing in God. To be rejoicing in Jesus, He is our life. I don't want you to leave here with your tail between your legs, that's not what we're here for. We want you to leave rejoicing in the Savior who has done it all. We have life because of Him. So, I, I pray that you've noticed the trend, and I pray that you just haven't noticed the trend. I pray by God's grace that that's happening when you leave here. You leave filled to overflowing with God's grace and God's goodness and His kindness and His love and His compassion for you. We can leave here this morning. We, have a, we, we leave with a pursuit, right? We want to walk a worthy walk, right? We leave with a pursuit. We want to be pleasing in every way. But we, we leave also recognizing that the, the source of that is not within us. The source of that is Him and His grace and His ability to do that in us. And He will. We surrender. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.